First Samuel chapter 12. And we'll start reading at verse 6. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord, and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served Balaam and Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Zerubbabel, and Bedan, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and ye dwelled safe. And when ye saw, saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye have desired, and behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey, obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he will send the thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask for a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then shall ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver. For they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. 
Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. It's, a, it's an interesting story, and this story of Samuel just goes on. Last week we saw that he had cleared and established his own character. He'd, he'd asked them, had he ever done anything wrong in their eyes, and had he taken anything that wasn't theirs? And he said, they said no. Now Samuel proceeds to lay before the people some of the great things that God had done for them over the past centuries even. Going right up to his own time. Perhaps this was going to show them uh, and to sort of aggravate and to show plainly what they had done in rejecting God as their king. He was the last of the judges. Samuel, the, this was the end of the judges. We'd had all the various judges that had been judging Israel you read them all in the book of Judges. But the last one was Samuel. And now Israel was entering into a period when there was going to be a king. The kingdom period. God had ruled and Samuel had judged the people. From now on the people were going to be ruled by a king. They had rejected God. God's leading and rule for his people and God's man, Samuel, were now going to take a back seat, as it were. The people wanted a king. The state was to be ruled by a king, having rejected God. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about nowadays we have countries where the state and the religion of the state are interlinked so completely church and state the Anglican church is the established church in Britain we have the amazing situation that leading churchmen are appointed by parliament it's, it's, a, it's a crazy situation we have parliament which is made up of, of religious people some Christians, some pagans some idolaters, some atheists. And they have the task of appointing leading churchmen. It, it just, it, it's just crazy. The Roman Catholic Church, something came in recently from uh, Richard Bennett, and it drew my attention to this. It, it's even more so. You know, the Roman Catholic Church is a state as well as being a church. It is the state of the Vatican, the Holy See as it's called. The Roman Catholic pontiff demands respect and obedience from everybody, not just from his own people. That's why he had the, 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 the audacity, I suppose you'd say, to, to, to chide and to give out to George Bush. George Bush shouldn't have been visiting him in any case, but when he did go and visit him, he, he was prepared, the Pope was prepared, 
to, to tell them off. Because the Pope is head of a state. Bennett pointed out that the, the Pope's central authority by which he judges all things is officially called the Holy See. Not the Vatican, the Holy See. And on the, the Vatican's webpage it says the term Holy See stands for the central authority of the Church which transcends even if it includes the tiny sovereign state of Vatican City. Thus the Holy See represents a worldwide community and not only the citizens of Vatican City. And the Pope is the head of a sovereign state, not only the head of a religious movement. And the Holy See declares the first see is judged by no one. They won't agree to be judged by anyone. The papacy declares itself to be supreme, unaccountable to anybody. Unaccountable to anybody. The sole judge of what is right and what is wrong. While at the same time, declares that nobody can judge it. It is solely, it says, it is solely the right of the Roman pontiff himself to judge those who hold the highest civil office in the state. One of the Holy See's hallmark is that of judging those who lead nations. You know what it says in that catechism, and I only discovered this just today, uh, yesterday or so. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. Clause 181 in the Catechism. No one can have God as father who does not have the church, the Roman Catholic Church, as mother. So much for ecumenism. But that was only by the way, it just struck me at the time when this situation in Israel, the state was going to now be ruled by a king. God was no longer going to rule them. Saul was king and Samuel would be there in the background but no longer as a judge of the people. You know throughout scripture the Jews were constantly reminded of all that God had done for them. Constantly in, in the Psalms and in the, 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 the Passover and everything, go through Nehemiah and all these books, the Jews were constantly being reminded of all the wonderful things that God had done for them. And yet, they failed God so many times. It was always emphasized that God had done these things. And if you look at verse 6, it says, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron. Nothing to do with Moses and Aaron. It was the work of God through Moses and Aaron. Always emphasized that God had done these great things for them. And then he says, I am going to reason with you. I may reason with you, he says in verse 7, to enter into a kind of controversy with them. To plead with them, with you before the Lord, of all the righteousness, of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. All the righteous acts. God's acts are always righteous. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He is the one who is righteous. 
And here Samuel was reminding the people of all the works of God and that all the works of God were righteous acts. And he, he, he does this really showing the distinction between what the Israelites did. Their works were far from being righteous. They were constantly failing God. And yet they were always being reminded that the first thing that God did, they go back to coming out of Egypt. Coming out of Egypt. Their redemption from Egypt. That's where it all starts. And that's where it starts for you and me, our redemption. We too, we've been redeemed by the Lamb of God. Do we constantly remind ourselves of all that God has done for us and return him thanks? The Jews were constantly doing it in the Psalms and in the Old Testament books, reminding them of their redemption from Egypt. My redemption is when I accept Christ and his sacrifice for me as being my personal saviour. And then he goes on, he says in verse 7, Now therefore, stand still, stand still. What a command for today, stand still. I was talking to a man the other day and I was just, something happened. He's in Asda, the noise. I said, isn't it a terribly noisy world we live in? And he said, it's terrible. We only have to listen when we came in here this morning, we could hardly hear our ears. The music next door. Constantly played all around us. In shops, in, 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 uh, on the radio, the cars that pass us in the streets. And all these new, they call them iPods or something, with a thousand tunes in them. And they attach them to their ears. I mean, what, what would you want a thousand tunes in anything for? I was reminded of Alexander Selkirk, you know, he was Robinson Crusoe, the original Robinson Crusoe, and he was put on a desert island. And he couldn't stand the silence. Oh, solitude, where are the charms that sages have seen in thy face? Where are the charms that he'd seen in solitude? Where are thy charms that sages have seen in thy face? Better dwell in the midst of alarms than to reign in this horrible place. He couldn't stand the quiet. People can't stand silence. Samuel says, now therefore stand still. Remember a, a, a cartoon of a politician who was doing things on, and it said, don't just do something, stand there. You know? <laughs> and it's very true. We, we constantly want to keep ourselves busy. Man wants to keep oneself busy with noise and everything. They don't want to hear silence. In Numbers 9, verse 8, there's a verse that says, And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. They'd come to Moses with a particularly difficult problem. It was all to do with people being defiled by touching a dead body to do with Passover and things. And he said, Listen, listen just stand there quietly. I want to hear what God has to say. God's voice is sometimes difficult to hear in this noisy world. Job, the same in Job, Job 37.4. Hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the works of God. 
you know, we say to people sometimes in the secular world, oh, slow down, slow down, be quiet, still, consider the works of God. That's what, you know, I remember meeting a, a guy up in Wales in a little village and he had an antique shop. And we got talking to him, he said, we had been open long, and he said, I came here a few years ago. He lived in Birmingham, on one of the main arteries into Birmingham. And he said, sometimes it took me 20 minutes to get out of my driveway, to get into the traffic jam. <laughs> and he said, I just got fed up. And I threw the whole thing up, and I came here, bought this little place, and I can go fishing, and I can smell the flowers along the way. That's what he said. We tell people to slow down, smell the flowers along the way. And so in the spiritual realm, we should stand still and consider, it says in that verse in Job, consider the wondrous works of God. Slow up. Consider the wondrous works of God along our Christian way. You know, Jesus had this in mind, the exact same thing. He said to his disciples one day, why are you worried about what you're going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field. Take time to look around. How they grow, they don't toil, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass in the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Look at the flowers. Look at the flowers along the way. And in our Christian path, our Christian life, we should consider the works of God. Be quiet and still and consider the works of God. Smell the flowers along the Christian pathway all the wonderful things that God has done and learn the lesson that's the difficult part it's easy to say things but it's not so easy to do them we said that last week didn't we we had a chorus I told them about it a chorus we used to sing in Sunday in, in a Bible class a YM Bible class a crowd of characters we used to go there at about five o'clock and we had a Bible class and you paid tuppence for jam and cake and things for the tea. We all get tuppence. And uh, the guy used to come with a big two pound pot of jam and give you a dollar of the jam and the thing's great fun. But the, one of the verses, one of the choruses in the chorus book was practice what you preach, do the things you teach. Then you'll surely reach the others all around. And the fellow, we used to give it out just for fun. If we had a visiting speaker and he'd, he'd say, oh yes, what number? 365, and he'd look at it and practice what you preach. Uh, but he told it to us one day, one of the guys told it to us, we have forgotten it. We need to practice what we preach. Consider the flowers and learn the lessons from them. You know, although God had brought them out of bondage in Egypt, time after time they had sinned again and again. So sad, just like you and me. And God permitted them. He said he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Moabites and the Ammonites and others. And they had repented. And God brought them back again 
verse 10. The people said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtoreth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve thee. And Samuel goes on. He's telling them what has happened in the past. And the Lord sent Zerubbabel, Gideon, and Bedan, the judge I think who came after Gideon, and Jephthah, who was the son of Gideon, and he sent all these people, and he even sent Samuel, he even sent me, to deliver you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And he dwelled safe. He dwelled safe. When God was their king, if they had obeyed him, they were safe. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe on his gentle breast. There is the only place we will have safety. In the arms of Jesus. If we stray away, we won't be safe and secure from all alarms. For us, God has provided a saviour too. To deliver us from the hand of the enemy. We sometimes fail. We wander astray like lost sheep. Why? Because we're stupid. We're sinful. Take away the love of sinning. That's what it says in that hymn. We used to sing that chorus in the holiday club. Do you remember how we said it dozens of times? I am a sheep baba. And I like to be well fed, but like a sheep, Baba, I am silly in the head. I go astray most every day. Oh, what a problem I must be. I'm glad I have the Good Shepherd looking after me. But we stray. But 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God said to his people. Come back. Come back. John 2, 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. Oh, I don't want you to sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, the righteous. And he is the propitiation. That's the means of appeasing. God is a righteous God. God cannot look and sin. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one that appeases God through his sacrifice. And he is the propitiation, the means of appeasing for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also the sins of the whole world. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. But after all that, in verse 12, he tells them all how good God had been to them what the wonderful righteous acts he'd done in saving them from the the Amorites and the the, the Moabites and the Philistines but he says the other day when you saw this man (coughs) Nahash the king of of Ammon coming against you what did you say oh God is going to guide us he's going to be our king no you said nay But a king shall reign over us. We want a king. Nahash. Whose name meant serpent. Remember? 
A serpent, a big serpent was coming against them. We want a king. And though the Lord was so kind and gracious, he raised up the judges one after another to deliver them. They cried and they repented. He came back again with another judge to rule over them. Yet when they saw that Nahash the Ammonite was preparing to make war with them, instead of applying to the Lord God for his protection, they desired to have a king. Nay, but a king shall reign over us. With God as their king, they were on the victory side. But they wanted, you see, to be like the people all around them. And that's the trouble with us as Christians. We want to imitate the world instead of being separate from the world. They were saying really that this man Nahash who'd come against them, God wasn't capable of protecting them from this man. This was too big a problem for God. We can handle this one ourselves. We need a king. I was thinking about this last night. And when we lived in Northern Ireland, we were there during most of the troubles. And we used to say to some of our friends and relatives, come on up and see us. Oh, well, you know, a bit worried about the troubles. That used to get me, used to annoy me. I used to say to them, oh yeah, you can trust God as far as the border, but once you get over the border, you can't trust God. And that's really, that was what was happening. They wouldn't come up to some of them because of the troubles. Oh, they preached that God was protecting them and watching over them, but once they came over the border, they wouldn't trust God. It's a little bit like here. You cannot trust God, they said in this situation, we need our own king to sort this one out. In verse 14, he says to them, however, if ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and your king. Oh, God can see that this king wasn't going to be a good man. But he said, if he obeys the word of the Lord and you obey the word of the Lord, then the Lord will continue to be your God. But if you don't, you're going to have trouble. And that's the way it is with you and me. If we want to have a life of pleasant witness and fellowship with God, we have to obey his voice. But if we stray away, then our life will be tugged backwards and forwards and we won't be happy anywhere. And then, this is, a, this is an amazing story actually. He says, now, I'm going to show you this by a very practical example that what I say is right. He said, stand, st stand by. He says, stand by, stand and see this great thing. He's telling them to stand there again. Maybe some of them were beginning to get tired of what he was saying were beginning to move away from where he was preaching or speaking. But he says, no, here, stand there. Stand there. This is the harvest time. Now, 
it was unusual, very unusual, for rain and thunder to come in harvest time. Unheard of. They had two particular times for rain. They had the first rains and the latter rains, but it didn't come at harvest time. And this was harvest time. In Proverbs, therefore you have that proverb that says, As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honour beseemeth not a fool. It was unusual. And this, he says, was to show their wickedness in rejecting God as their king. And this rain and thunder came. And he, he says the reason for it in verse 17. Ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great. Which ye have done in the sight of the Lord. In asking for a king. And Samuel prayed to God. And God sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord. And the people said unto Samuel. Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask for a king. This was to show their wickedness. God was displeased with them. Displeased with their sin. God was a holy God. He cannot look upon sin. A holy God cannot look upon sin. He cannot disregard sin. God forsook his beloved son on Calvary when he bore our sin upon the cross. Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God cannot look upon sin. I always shudder at that verse in Isaiah 53 verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Lord bruised his beloved son. For you and for me. Let us remember the dreadfulness of sin. And here Samuel was trying to show. And God was showing these people the dreadfulness of sin. In rejecting God as their God. Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people said unto Samuel. And this is interesting. Look what they said. In verse four, uh, 14, Samuel had said at the end of verse 14, Then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. The Lord your God. But look, in verse 19, and all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants, for thy servants unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God. They had rejected a God. They had rejected Samuel as their judge and supreme governor and desiring, desiring a king. But now they were his servants. They called themselves, pray for thy servants. And they were afraid to call God 
their God. Our God, no, they said thy God. They were afraid that they were going to be destroyed by the thunder and lightnings. Or their cattle would be destroyed. And they said to Samuel, pray to thy God. Samuel gives them a message of hope. He says, fear not. You've done this wickedness. You've done that wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord. Oh, there was a message of hope. He says, listen. You've done that wickedness. You've sinned against God, but come back to him. Come back to him. It's full of assurance. Verse 23 says, But as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Turn ye not aside. Follow the Lord. And he said, Don't worry. I'll pray for you. An assurance that he was going to pray for the people. They, there had come a time when he was no longer walking with them. He was no longer their judge. He was going to be there in the background. But he said, I'm still going to pray for you. You know, there may come a time in my life, in your life, in all our lives, we won't get around as much as we used to. We won't have contact with people as we used to. We may be laid aside on a, on, 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 in bed, sick, may not be able to get around and walk. There may be a time, but there'll never be a time, God willing, if our brains are still active, there'll never come a time when we won't be able to pray. We may not get around walking, but we'll always be able to pray. God has laid many a dear Christian aside in old age or illness or for some other reason. God alone knows the prayers of people like that. Have they backed up the work of missions? Work being done out on the mission field. We never know the results of those prayers. They'll never know maybe until they get the glory. weeks I thank God for the prayers of many who have prayed for me and encouraged me by their telephone calls and their cards in a difficult situation. And I believe that it was through the prayers of those people that are faithful Christians who around the country that resulted in something quite wonderful happening. And you know it's interesting that Samuel regards not praying. This struck me very forcibly. Moreover, he said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He regarded it as a sin against the Lord by not praying for people. It's not strange. I should sin, God forbid, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing 
to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. And then, just in closing, verse 24. Here is a verse coming away back from the begin, the middle of the Old Testament. And it's just as bang up to date as if it had been written today. A wonderful lesson for us. He says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Fear the Lord. Have that awesome reverence for God. Put our faith and trust solely in him. Fear him. Trust him. As she was telling the people. Serve him in truth with all your heart. Not a haphazard, half-hearted thing. Go 100%, he says. Serve him in truth with all your heart. And then consider how great things he hath done for you. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Look at Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Oh, it was a wonderful dream. Couldn't believe it. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. And they said among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Everybody noticed. The people outside noticed that God had done great things for them. But why? Because they had a smile on their face. <laughs> and they were singing. Now, my singing wouldn't make everybody laugh and smile. But they had that joy of the Lord as their strength. Nehemiah, when the people were beginning to lag and building the wall, what did Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said among the heathen, the Lord, why are, they, why are those people smiling? Why are they so joyful in this difficult situation? They're, they're, they're having a terrible time. Why are they? Oh, because the Lord's done great things for them. And verse 3 it says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Let us ever give him thanks and praise for all that he has done for us. And take time to consider things around us. As it said in that verse in Job, Consider the wondrous works of God.